or morning, wherever you guys are. So, we are your hosts, KL and Sage. Yippers. Today we are tackling the last installment of our mini-series on trauma. And also it's episode 17, so the end of season. I think we should I think we should jump right in, but I want to set some want to want to set some caveats first. Well, when we discussed exactly what we wanted to put into this particular episode, there were a few things we wanted to cover, and some of them are a little a little deep, so we'll set some ground rules here so you know where we're coming from. Yeah, so And then we'll get into it. So the first part of this we want you to prepare yourself, but not defend yourself. That's the very first thing to understand in our presentation. We are taking it from the perspective of spirituality. And we haven't said the the main aspect of it, right? But we are going to focus on the methods that we have used that has proven themselves to be effective and also we're their only recommendations right because of the nature of this particular topic inside of trauma it's very much contentious at best. That's what that's what I would say. And we're not leaning heavily on all of the psychological aspects that are involved where this area of trauma is concerned. So we need for you, our listeners, to take a step back as you listen. Because some things are going to be triggering. Some things are definitely going to be unnerving. Even when Sage suggested that we take on this particular topic, I had my own bit of adverse reaction to it. (laughs) So, you know, it took a little bit of research and, you know, more than 24 hours, but it it intensified in the last 24 hours of research to find a common thread for the way that we would like to approach this topic. So that said, I think we could now really reveal it. So trauma four is... Well, there's really going to be three top topics coming up because this is the last bits of the trauma topics we wanted to cover so we have sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and often related to that we'll do relationship trauma Mm -hmm. and then the last topic we'll do is about like learning trauma or you know school related trauma yeah at first glance maybe these might seem a bit arbitrary to put together, but 
even in my research, I found that they are, they all have a very similar underlying denominator, or I guess, I guess that may, I don't know if that makes sense grammatically, but (laughs) they do have a common denominator. That's what I would say. I think the great thing about us taking on these topics, as we discussed, these are ones that we have had come up a number of times and in a number of different ways over the years. We haven't revisited them in a little while. So I think this will be good for us as well as our listeners. Yeah. And then on top of that, our show notes in the description, they're going to be a lot lengthier than they normally are because we put all of the citations in the show notes. So everything that we talk about here, you'll find the actual citation, the websites, whatnot in the show notes. So you can always go back and like read the full articles or listen to the video that that's there, etc., to give you a, a broader perspective. And we trust that you'll be able to, let that be your jump off point. I mean, if, if you have, if you're just listening, you know, if you just started listening to us, the biggest premise of our podcast is to, if not provide an actual solution for you, to give you a place to start so that you can take advantage of your own you know, your, your own healing journey. Like most people have a problem of where to start and it is our effort to at least give you that. So just kind of take it from that perspective, because when, when we're dealing with clients, we have to go all in and we, we always present things that we've done, tools that we've used that have been effective for our clients. So that's where we're coming from. Like, it's not hearsay or, you know, anything like that. This is from our personal experiences of of watching people go through the metamorphosis. So, yeah. I think I'll kick things off with our, our show note version. <laughs> so we'll start off with sexual trauma. The first citation came from where is it here ah you've got goop.com here yeah that's is goop.com and it's under wellness uh sexual health sexual trauma how to and manifest how to heal those were all of the the adjacent topics there was something quite interesting about that part of the document and it gave the definition of trauma. So I'm going to read that verbatim. Trauma is often used in place of the full name of the condition, post-traumatic stress disorder, or everybody knows it as PTSD. PTSD is a psychiatric condition characterized by extreme levels of anxiety, flashbacks, and nightmares which persist for months. The symptoms start after the individual has experienced some terrifying or life-threatening event. Example, a car accident 
witnessing a natural disaster. What is important to note is that a person may experience distressing anxiety in response to a terrible event, even without meeting all the symptoms of PTSD. End quote. And for me, that really rings true because when we go back to season one, where I talked about what I experienced with the situation with, you know, with my brother that gave me cold sweats every night for three months. That was one of the PTSD experiences that I had, you know, constant palpitations every night to the point where it scared me that I wasn't going to live to see 25. Those were very, very clear PTSD experiences, which I didn't have a name for back then. So this rings true for me in understanding that I experienced very deep trauma. I had a number of situations over my life for certain. One of the more recent ones I went through was the, I knew soon after that I did have PTSD from our little one's birth and hospital stay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, primarily the hospital stay, but I had to come to a recognizing point where so amazingly a one hour time period actually gave me a fair bit of PTSD as well. And that was the hour after I woke up from the surgery and I had no idea whether or not our little one had survived. Yeah. And no one could tell me. And you were not there. And I just had to. And see, that that was very confusing to me because I didn't understand why they didn't tell you. Because so you your perception of it was that they couldn't tell you. But me on the other end, they didn't tell you. So that was extremely angering for me in in your experience. Well, I held on to the two nuggets, and thanks to all of the training in psychic phenomena and all of that really deep, well, just the training, mm-hmm. I was able to grasp one moment coming directly out of that surgery, I remember hearing the voice of one nurse who'd been there at a, at a previous visit as well. I heard her in the very faint recesses of my mind, I heard her shouting, she doesn't know, she has a little girl. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I can hear her voice perfectly. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember, I don't think, any, nobody's told her she she has a little girl make sure she knows she has a little girl but this was really far away and I I was not fully conscious but I managed to grasp onto that and hold that for dear life that there was hope mm-hmm. yeah because at that moment that was all I had S- small segue just before I continue that small segue if we have any 
guys listening right now, whether you have kids or not, I just want to make a point of note here and, you know, take it with the utmost care that I'm saying this. It's really important to understand that moment of birth for women. It's, it's not an easy thing. I've, I've been through that three times now. And this, this third experience definitely cemented in my mind the clear understanding of how, how much of a thin line between life and death that moment is. So, I mean, sex is fun. But just know that when it comes to creating children, that this is a a very poignant moment and a very important moment in the life of the woman that you are trying to impregnate. I'm saying it raw because, (laughs) you know, for guys, it, 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 for guys, the whole process is a little, is different. Not a little, but it it is significantly different in the context. I know a lot of our discussion here in the sexual trauma was to be quite a bit with things like rape and assault, those type of issues. But on that note, childbirth could be quite sexual trauma as well. I mean, apart from the fact that you're on display for the world and also... Some women do get quite a bit of that. That's, I mean, things are not always the same after childbirth. And, I mean, there's a lot of different issues that come up. Like for me, I had a heck of a time with milk coming in, having a preemie. And there was so much back and forth and misinformation in hospital. And I they had me on drugs that did not do me good. I got really messed up and it took years for you to be able to touch my boobs Mm -hmm. without me crying. Mm -hmm. And it's still not what it was before having our little one. And those are really interesting. You know, it's just one example of sexual trauma in that just childbirth. And there's many others who have, similar issues of some nature well i mean even even hollywood uses a version of it most times for comedic relief which i mean if you look at it it, there's nothing comical about it you know where they show a birth scene with the woman like screaming and then she if if the husband is there or the guy or boyfriend is there even on reality tv this has been seen you know where the woman in the throes of the pains looks at the guy and angrily says to him you did this to me (laughs) right i mean i'm chuckling about it now because it it has been so many years of the same scene components always not made fun of, but made for comic relief. And 
anybody who's ever been through that knows that in that moment, there is nothing comical about that statement. Right. It, it looks like your partner is possessed in that moment. <laughs> it's not funny. Right. So the, the trauma just has to be, it has to be taken a bit more seriously because a woman's body is going through untold changes that are permanent. That first, that first child, that's a permanent change. It's an absolute, it's an absolute physical body will never be the same again the emotions that are attached to whatever that event and experience was will change you forever mentally so you know i'm i'm saying that like for the guys to understand it's it's a very serious thing to to look at it from that perspective it's not meant to deter you from having sex but it's meant to help you to understand in the moment that even in your primal urges be aware that you're creating a change if you're going for the act of pregnancy you're creating a change and that change is going to be permanent even well and and i either way so even if there's a miscarriage that's a permanent change if the and baby's done that as well right you know between us we've we've gone through that what twice yeah right so if the there's first a, time we were doubly protected as well yeah no kidding because we knew we knew some bullshit was a was awry i was definitely not taking chances right and still the miscarriage happened which is a little bit of a an interjection with the spiritual component of it. We, we both saw mm-hmm. the potential and so double protection and still got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the next thing that we should discuss, because we've had a number of clients with this issue is a lot of the other sexual trauma that comes from any kind of a rape or assault. Well, I think I have something on, on our show notes that would segue into that. Well, okay. In that first, in that first citation on that, that particular web, the goop website, there's a really important question. I thought that was relevant to what we're talking about and what we're going to talk about. And the question is, is it possible for women who have experienced sexual trauma to begin to enjoy sex again? And I thought that was a really powerful question to ask because regardless of the situation, notwithstanding, that is an aftermath. Or should I say there is an aftermath? Mm-hmm. You know, when when you've gone through that sexual trauma, there's an aftermath. And now you have to deal with that aftermath. And usually it is the situation of recognizing 
that there is an aftermath and then choosing or not choosing to deal with it. And I think that's where this question becomes super important. Is it possible for women who have experienced sexual trauma to begin to enjoy sex again? Now, as far as this doctor was concerned, who was answering the questions, she said, absolutely. Although the effects of a sexual trauma can be lasting for some women, it is important to remember that many women heal from the effects of an unwanted sexual encounter. Women who, oh, sorry, women are incredibly resilient and many are able to recover from the trauma completely with no long-term or ongoing difficulties. And I took that out to put into our show notes because, again, from the perspective we're coming from, we, there are so many podcasts and shows and interviews that deal with the devastation and the desolation that women feel. And I personally haven't found anything outside of this particular article that gives women the clear understanding that there are women who have been successful at getting past this trauma. We've, we've seen a couple get past it. Well, well, yes. One much more in much more detrimental fashion. I think one that really comes to me was really fascinating. This was when we had a little storefront type place. And there was a woman who walked in just off the street and asked me for a healing. And she was a little rough, but okay. And this was, we had Reiki posted up in the window. I guess she has family that does Reiki. She had been traveling the world and had just come all the way from, it goes, New York. And she says she got grabbed there, hmm. gang raped. I remember and that. And her first thing, like, I, like, this was, I think, two or three days before she came in to see me. Jeez. She didn't know me from anybody. But she saw the sign and she just, she came in for healing. Mm -hmm. And when she left, she had color in her face again. And she said she felt a lot better. So it was really like she knew and she said, she knows now this will, she felt that she was going to be able to get over this. Mm -hmm. I take it a little bit, but this was the push, you know, that healing was the push she needed to to get a little removed from it and Resources. to feel less raw about it mm -hmm. mentally. Yeah. So I thought that interesting that she's someone who actually thought to go straight to Reiki. No. The emotional and mental components. There's a side note to that, which I've always heard a lot of, a lot of counselors and, you know, coaches say, and it's never ever sat right with me because of what we know about the nature of choice. And the number one 
thing that is always said in art, even in this article, the, and it's usually in within the first five things that are said to women who've gone through these experiences, it's not your fault. And it's something that's never really sat right with me to say that because of the fact that on the universal side there are there are karmic experiences and that's one of the things that are is so heavily controversial about it and i think instead of using the word fault that there should be a very different way to articulate it because there are some situations that are faulty situations, but the person is not blamed. Like you can't lay the blame on the person, but they end up in really faulty situations. So one of those so, that I can cite is like that movie that we, that we watched that came out after. So there was the, the black version of the movie, 12 years a slave few months later there was a tv documentary 12 years a slave about this this woman who ended up being beaten into submission and she ended up with uh what's the stockholm syndrome right right, right? and the beginning of that and we've talked about this in in previous in the previous episode you know she recounts in the documentary that she clearly heard when they stopped at the gas station and she went to the bathroom. She clearly heard the voice in the bathroom saying, run. And heard it three times. And heard it three times. Do not go back to the car. Run. Climb out the window and run. Yeah. Do not look back. So that's a, that is a blatant situation where she was at fault. That's tough to say, I find, because at the same time, it doesn't discount any that she was indeed a victim. And she's not, I mean. But she became a victim because she didn't pay attention to her own, you know, her own intuition. I think the differentiation is you would not want her to feel blame emotion because that will never help her heal. I, I see I see what you're saying with that. See, but that's that, that's why it's contentious. See, this is why, yes. Yeah, this is why this is such a difficult topic to broach because there are things that as a as a way like to heal through it it really is a a situational thing from a spirit from the spiritual component like the simple universal facts. Yeah, there are things like can see where sometimes people do have experiences where it was very clear like that mm-hmm. other times it is more of it, it could be as simple as i should have i should have tied my shoelace before i left and it would have been someone else mm-hmm. so that's tough when it comes into the universal play of it so i think the better thing well that it, okay so um, uh, can uh, i yeah sorry go ahead you were talking about the concept of you know the saying it's not your fault 
some don't I've, and i saw a little or a little i think it was a youtube documentary about this at some point where the person never once thought it was their fault even though they did indeed recognize that they made a certain decision that impacted exactly what happened but they never thought it was their fault mm-hmm. so i think the thing i remember seeing this up and she the thing that calmed her down when she finally did have figure out how to escape and it actually worked out the thing that calmed her was the concept of you are safe so the safety factor i think is more important to take note of than that it's not your fault because certainly in this day and age many are aware that it's not their fault no not always i mean certainly if they're saying it's all my fault and you want to reassure them, okay, there's nothing you could do to change the past. You are safe. I think that's a much better statement yes. to move forward rather than simply saying it's not your fault because all that's doing is telling them the thoughts in their head are wrong. Well, yeah. And, and this. Rather than that, you change it to the forward, forward thinking, which is there's nothing that you can change about what has happened. You are now safe. That's my opinion. I, I, I would agree with that because of all of the things that we've personally seen and reads that we've done for people, you know, because it, it's, it's a really, impl- just from, from the context of, let's say, that New York lady, right? Mm-hmm. We have seen evidence through all of the accounts that we've gone through with different clients, that there's always a moment when your intuition through your personal guides tell you, hey, mm, it's probably not a good idea to go down that street. And how many times are we trained and aware enough to follow through with hearing that? And that's my point of it. So, if that is ever taken into consideration, then it is likely that mundane human nature will lay the blame back on the person. And that's not effective for them in that moment to say, look, it's your own damn fault. That's what, that's why it happened because that's not the situation. All of us as human beings over hundreds of years have been systematically taught not to pay attention to our intuition. So, so at, then at, at I just want to say yeah. from, I know I'm interrupting a bit, but mm. because you had kind of led with a, almost a, it is the person's fault appearance in how your words came out. Mm. You seem to now be rather backtracking that or explaining it more clearly so i am just hoping you can really yeah that's clarify a fair bit for our listeners because you're now indicating that contrary to what you initially said on a spiritual level it isn't actually 
their fault. Like you're talking about more of a cause and effect than a fault situation because we have been trained out of paying attention. And that's that's exactly the point that I'm bringing forward. The, the first part of what I was saying had to do with if we're not looking at it from a spiritual perspective in terms of the tools, then... Yeah, it's not really that, but you know, it, it's you can't go around saying it's your fault. When you look at the spiritual tools involved and all of our societal training that clearly teaches us not to pay attention to those things, then you have to you have to look at it really, really hard and say, okay. I didn't have the skill set to pay attention to this, and so I missed all of those cues that should have informed me taking this path, you know, not stopping or rushing or whatever the situation was that led up to being in that situation is literally because of having a lack of toolage. Now, some people may argue that, you know, what does that mean? Well, let's go to the animal kingdom. If you look at an African savanna where all the animals are hanging out, everybody stays within their group. The lions are in the group. The gazelles are in the group. You know, the hogs are in the group. And everybody has to drink water at the same watering hole. And the predators have to eat. That's their, their they have to survive. And if I remember this clearly from the documentaries I've watched, they don't always take down a prey every day. But when they do, like some animal has to get chosen. And all the animals have the highest state of awareness that the lions are going to eat. And at some point, it'll be time up for one of them. That, that's a raw state of nature. So how does that apply to what I'm saying with human beings? We're not all enlightened. We're not all paying attention to being better human beings. The majority of humanity does not pay attention to becoming a better human being. And that leaves them open to being a really bad human. So that's where we get the assaulters. Yes. So that means that the people who are working towards becoming better human beings have to pay more attention so that you are not in the same lane, that you're not traveling in the same path of those who have left themselves open to the influence of assaulting. So it's that one's a hard catch 22 because it is. I mean, there are steps you can take to be safe, but at the same time, that doesn't by any means mean that you are automatically going to be safe. Situations can come up and you may not be. 
so sad. But let's. I think we're starting to deviate a little further away from. No, 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 no. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. Sad guru talked about. It. I think I mentioned this on the last one. You know, bad shit happening to good people. And in his in his little TikTok, there he's saying that's because good people tend to make stupid decisions. Being too trusting, being an example, like an in right. You you, you know, there's that automatic, just like what you just said. You know, because you're practicing safety doesn't mean that you're necessarily safe. In other words, you you can't just automatically feel okay. I'm safe now, and let my guard down. But you're not supposed to live by that skepticism. It is a state of awareness, not skepticism. In other words, you have to be aware that there are lions out there. And you have to be aware of where you're traveling. Are you traveling close to the border of the lions or not? And sometimes you have to make the decision, I'm not going to travel today. Lions are in my path. I'll wait till they move. As a metaphor. So here's my thought, Mm -hmm. stemming from much of what you've said. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, the biggest thing that I found being the case when working with people with any kind of a sexual trauma, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing to really get into is, I mean, redeveloping trust, starting with oneself, then with others. And as far as that awareness that you've brought up, I find being able to trust one's own awareness is a key. I mean, first you have to come to that point of knowing that the general concept of it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. More so what I prefer to guide someone through is to break the situation down, stare it in the face. Mm -hmm. This is the action I took. This is where it, and especially if they have, it's my fault tendencies in any way mm-hmm. break it down and go would you have done this differently could you have what is the actual likelihood mm-hmm. you know really staring that in the face mm-hmm. puts a very clear face to your fear yes it is that age-old concept of face your fears mm-hmm. once you're able to do that then at least it eases the freeze aspect of the fear mm-hmm. when facing the trauma. And from there, you can actually work steps to get through it. Because that's basically you getting through, say, the denial of it, for example. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to apply grief stages to it, mm-hmm. which which we tend to do. You do effectively have to grieve the person you were before the trauma occurred. Yes. And then learn to trust who you are now. And then you gain skills that put you in a better awareness so it doesn't happen for the future. And that applies to any trauma, truly. But in sexual trauma, I find it's very important to regain that level of trust because something so intimate that actually affects i mean from spiritual point that's that's your root chakra that's the core of who you are Mm -hmm. that is getting hurt Mm -hmm. and and i mean to be clear this applies to like male and female no matter who you may be because we've experienced clients with issues 
um, where they're male and female, they both have sexual trauma of some sort. Mm-hmm. We've really spoken quite a bit about the psychological aspect, and you actually had a citation here for that. Here, I'll read this one. Mm-hmm. So it's from vonet.org about psychological consequences of mm-hmm. sexual trauma. So, and I'm just going to say this one again as a direct quote in sight. Again, we'll put the citations in all the notes. Mm-hmm. So it says here, adulthood sexual trauma is associated with short-term and long-term psychological consequences. Short-term effects include shock, fear, anxiety, confusion, and withdrawal. Many survivors experience a reduction in symptoms within a few months, whereas some women experience distress for years. Long-term outcomes include PTSD, depression, eating disorders, sexual dysfunction, alcohol and illicit drug use, non-fatal suicidal behavior and suicidal threats, physical symptoms in the absence of medical conditions, and severe preoccupations with physical appearances. Risks of developing mental health problems are related to assault severity, other negative life experiences, maladaptive beliefs, and perceptions of lack of control. That lack of control really touches on, in my brain, directly related to the trust. And I know this one specifically said adulthood, mm-hmm. sexual trauma, but many aspects are also pertinent to childhood sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. It's really multifaceted, the, the layers that get affected in sexual trauma. I want to draw attention to, I can't remember the name of the movie now. If you describe it, I might know it or remember mm-hmm. it. Yeah, because I think we watched it together. It's with Jennifer Lawrence, and she played this uh, spy who was a model, but she was she was a Russian spy, female spy. She got put into their subversive tactics program where they use women as as spies. And in her training, there was a training scene in the classroom where the their female instructor told her to remove her clothes and one of the male students she was supposed to seduce him and she failed the first time and when she got a handle of what the lesson was the instructor told her again you know come up here and remove your clothes and of course he started to jeer at her but you know the second time around but she had the one thing that he didn't have and so the female instructor told her give him what he wants and the moment that she became more mentally aggressive toward him instead of him forcing her she was forcing him to take her and at that point he lost all boner all in instinct to 
do her harm. That's an in right. I lightly remember this one. I don't remember the name of the show or anything. Yeah. I'm questioning. Was it Jennifer Lawrence that was? It the was. Actress? It was Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Actually, no. It wasn't Jennifer Lawrence. I was gonna say. She kind of looked like Jennifer Lawrence back. Yeah. No. I can't remember the name of the actress now. Oh man. Anyway. Okay. Neither of us remember the movie or the actual actress. If, if All we you, know is it wasn't are, Jennifer Lawrence, but no. somebody who looks similar. If, if you, our listeners, know the movie, you can always put please it in. let us know. Neither yeah. of us can think of it offhand. But that raises an interesting thought, too, because in that spy training, they're literally training her to change what she has control over. Yeah, dissociation. It's, it's active conscious dissociation. Like interesting at, at, at the roots of it, it's active, yeah. It's at the root. It's not total dissociation, but it's a, it's it's a conscious version. What I would describe as a conscious version of dissociation. In other words, you're breaking the pattern where socially you are supposed to hold your reproductive parts as sacred to you and use it as a power to control those who think that they have control over it. So here and and here here is where this may even take a turn for in some people's mind as a, oh my god I can't believe he said that. But if you take that as an example, if in that moment, and I've heard this from some prostitutes as well. Don't ask me how. I'll just I've, I've heard this from directly from prostitutes. It, this dissociation is how they survive. No matter what the John does, this dissociation is how they survive. They turn, they turn it around because what that person wants to do is violent. If you are enjoying the violence, there's no violence. And that, that it's pretty fucked up, but at the same time, you're taking away the power that the person is ex is experiencing joy from. I think that's the key is taking away the power the other person holds over you. So you have to, that, that is where the trust I think really comes in. It's where we start to work through e your own trust of your awareness. I like to make sure people go through the type of meditation series that we do that takes you to your body's awareness. Yep. I mean, I know they do classes nowadays on just this little self-aware body thing. Body right. talk. That's what it is. I was They're referencing it for somebody else here recently, and I forgot the name. It's called Body Talk. It's a really, Body Talk is the really mundane version of it, but. It's so diluted. The, it, the, it just, uh, way too diluted to really do what we want it to in this one. But if you have no other reference, it's a great reference. Yeah, this is true. Because it certainly is where I like a person to start because then if again, you're facing your own body, which is where a lot of your fear comes from. Anytime you look at yourself mm -hmm. in that, so you face that. And again, it's case by case, but rebuilding your own trust in yourself. Some of the little things that help a lot of people naturally are things like taking extra learning, like a lot of women taking self-defense courses and such, making mm -hmm. them feel confident and trusting their own selves again. 
Well, there was that Jennifer Lopez movie where she did that. Right, where she was like, yeah, she was, because she had an abusive spouse and Mm -hmm. she like ran away and stuff. But she, when she was hiding away before she came back to like stop him from doing it to anyone else, she took like some kind of martial arts training. She took self defense training and she had a really good instructor and he he did not hold back on her i remember that that was one of the things that struck me really strongly in the movie yeah because she had the character had told her character had told the instructor exactly why she needed to be able to defend herself yeah and he did not hold back he used to choke her ass out like straight up like give her the full like you need and he choked her until she passed out so that she understood in that moment, even if you pass out, you have to fight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was another movie that and they did, brought it up in the end because that situation actually occurred. Like actually, the yeah, exactly. Movie in the movie. And now let me just pause here for a second because I know, you know, we're like an hour into this, and, and I know some people oh, are c- completely, <laughs> completely losing their shit right now. We're all over the map with this. No, like, I, I don't. I don't think okay, we maybe are. Maybe not though. all over the map, but um, there's so much to unpack. In we're we're this taking. Topic. We're taking the packets. We're taking the little bit of packets that are usually discussed with this, and kind of opening them up. Like we're opening up a series of cans of worms here, and and I think it's it's because this has never been, at least in my opinion, this hasn't been addressed in a way to provide a different point of view it's usually mm-hmm. where people take the whole painful oh no you've been through some pain and you know you're a victim and it's not your fault and nobody really turns that shit around because it's too dark like what we're saying is it's pretty dark for a lot of people's mind so let me i'm just i just want to clarify here i'm not telling you go out and practice getting raped so that you could fucking defend yourself. That's I'm not saying that. So let's not take it there. What? Definitely not. But we're offering an entirely alternate perspective to the traditional healing, usually Western medicine and such, and what most pop culture offers. We're offering some different perspectives and concepts. And we've had clients who have gone through counseling such and not had success until after trying some of our methods yeah now that is one thing i really wanted to bring up Mm. when it comes up comes to sexual trauma having someone to talk to having that counsel and such can be absolutely huge and here's where i find the real reason for it comes in you have to trust yourself, learn to trust yourself to say it out loud without, you know, without it causing you to curl up in a corner every time, for example. The other person as a counselor, clearly they'll have some tools and such for you, but to be able to get it out, to get it clear, to be able to speak, to be able to trust yourself to state what has happened and how you feel about it, I think that's a huge, huge help in the healing process. I I agree with you to a point. 
I don't think it will be enough trust in that moment for them to be able to trust themselves not to curl up in a ball. I think that they have to trust themselves in spite of the feeling of wanting to curl up in a ball. And I, I think that they have to be able to trust that they can say it even if they are saying it while curled up in a ball. Right. I see. Which is basically the concept of, like you said, in that one Jennifer Lopez movie where even if she's passing out, she had a fight. If you, if you pass out, you, you have to fight. Your mind still has to be actively fighting to bring yourself back. That today is not the day you're going to die. Like, and, and that's, it's a very strong mental state to be in. And even for those listening who have never experienced such a traumatic event as sexual trauma, you have to know that this is how you prepare yourself. It's preventative as well as a tool for the aftermath to strengthen your mind in that like for that level of trust. That's pretty much what I, what I, I mean, yeah. I don't know what else we really want to cover with. Oh, I, I'll, I'll do the last, there, there's, well, this, this there's that last quote. Okay. Right? Go so, for it. Cause I think, I think this quote, it will be helpful for, you know, for this context. And again, it's from that same first no, this one is from Mindsplain.com. Right, yeah. So Mindsplain.com has a quote here that I thought was really powerful. The challenge of recovery is to reestablish ownership of your body and your mind and yourself. This means feeling free to know what you know and to feel what you feel without becoming overwhelmed, enraged, ashamed, or collapsed. And this was said by Bessel A. van der Kolk. And it comes from the, from the book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. I thought that was an extremely powerful way to kind of bring all these ideas together. The, mm -hmm. the, the biggest aspect of overcoming any sexual trauma is to regain that, reestablish that ownership. Because that's the thing that was taken away. And, if, and not if, but you have to work your ass off to reestablish that ownership. That's how you get, get over it. That's how you get past it. So I think that covers that. I mean, For, from our perspective. Just at least in, what we can do in this, this podcast and not being, you know, experts by any oh God, no. real type scenario. Yeah. This is just us with, stating some, some things we've come across with clients who have experienced this, things that we have noted in whether it be our own lives with trauma and 
related things, just some, some interesting perspectives and ideas. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all this, that's the place. This Maybe is this will be from. the key for someone that will bring their mind to the place where they can actually complete the healing. Yes. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Which is all about relationship trauma. I mean, most people, I think at this point, given this day and age, have been in a relationship that did not end well. I mean, how many relationships end well? Not many. Well, particularly with this two-year pandemic stream. (laughs) Well, I don't, I mean, yeah, that's going to be some of it, but there's so much more to it than that. Well, I mean, but in terms in terms think, of what's in the in the current conscious stream, this last this last two years of, of pandemic crap has really done a lot of relationships in. It has. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are not didn't expect to be so close for so long and such. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big things with relationship trauma is when the other person in that relationship interacting with you has ultimately changed how you view your own self and made you question it in any way. And that I believe creates a massive load, like a significant chunk of all relationship traumas. It's when you doubt your own self in any fashion or Mm. are changed in massive ways okay so that's 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 my opinion piece here so let me let me play devil's advocate for a minute that could be a good thing okay i i'm i'm thinking about the positives (laughs) on that too yes at times it can be good i'm talking about the ones where it ends badly where the other person is specifically causing the person you know in trauma by making themselves doubt themselves in really negative ways i'm thinking you're narcissists and abusive partners and things like that so i can agree with the statement of if it's making you doubt yourself because i think from uh from an articulate point of view that's different from if it's making you change because if you have two people that got together one person has a a clear handle on making life successful around them and the other person never had that then the only bad situation there is if the person who's never experienced that kind of success is resistant to the person who they chose to be with showing them okay here's how you here's how you revise your life to make it successful so if they're resisting that then that relationship will end badly because you have one person who is on a trajectory of always moving forward regardless of how difficult things may be if they're moving forward and they're inspired they're trying to inspire that other person to make those changes and then they don't want to change well yeah that's a problem now 
that could also go to the extreme if that person doesn't do it compassionately. Like the person who is successful, if they're not helping that person change in a compassionate way and they're doing this God complex savior version, that will also end badly. Because they're not they're not bringing that to the table. You know what I mean? So that that's why I say like I think I think from what you said, if you're doubting your person, your core person, your own mind, because of the experience that you're having with that other person, then absolutely that will end badly because it's it's removing you from your core self. I saw this, for example, in my parents, especially. Mm. Mm. They stayed together much longer than what I think they ever should have. But see, when things broke down, I think, for example, and I mean, it's tough to decide whether or not to speak much about this in a public forum, but mm-hmm. at this point, I think it's necessary. My experience was particularly with my parents because from about the age of nine, there was a clear cut. I know there's a clear cut moment of change where one really was not engaged anymore and the other was definitely being terrible. Mm-hmm. And they stayed in that relationship for another. 12 years Hmm. and it damaged so well us children horribly Hmm. both of us would have preferred to be raised by a single mother Hmm. and looking at what my mother is now compared to what she was at that beginning when Hmm. she still had hope and effort and energy Hmm. And there have been difficulties, I know, a couple of years before. And I know there was a clear-cut difference in who I had as parents for the younger part of my life mm-hmm. compared to, like, I remember I was about seven when things really made it start changing in more minor ways. And I was still young enough at that time. Mm-hmm. It was about nine when it was drastically irreparable. Mm-hmm. And the trauma that stemmed, I mean, that's four people worth of trauma that could have been significantly diminished by recognition and a choice to act. That brings a really interesting point to my mind, just as 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 a segue point. People don't know how to end relationships. There's so much fucking information out there about how to begin relationships, how to test relationships, how to how to to insinuate, how to manage, how to cajole, how like all this other shit, but nobody ever fucking talks about how to end a relationship. It's interesting. That's kind of true. I mean, I didn't get into any major relationships before you. I mean, that's where my psychic sense came Mm. in. I I saw it wasn't going to work out quite early and just. You you were on a couple of times. I was good at being articulate and saying, I can't see this 
working out in the future. But unfortunately, there have been a couple of times I I just got too weirded out and I ghost people. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and we're talking first and second date, but well, first dates. I never ghosted anybody at a second date. I said words. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so important. Like if, if you're dating, you have to know how to end the relationship. Now, what about when you're in a relationship? You have a lot more experience with this than I do, but how to end an actual relationship. This is exactly what I'm saying. You've because got time I, and emotional content. You've got maybe finances involved. Maybe you've got other people like children involved, like ending a relationship or knowing how to recognize where a trauma point is and then the I, recovery afterward. Before I got to Canada, I had one very simple rule. If there was a vote of no confidence in my ability to to be in the relationship with that person, I'm done. Because I don't fucking do brownie points and I don't sit there and fucking grovel. I've never been that person. If If you've lost confidence in my ability to to be a part of the relationship, it's over. I will not sit there to try to regain trust and confidence. It's done. And I know that's really harsh for a lot of people to hear and to deal with, but that's always been my thing. Because I consider that the efforts that I take in my personal growth is always to be better at, you know, being that person that is supportive, being that person that if I, if I can't inspire you to do anything, then I, I have no purpose in the relationship. Pardon me. I'm just having a sip of water. Yeah, that's fine. But you know, like, you know what I mean? That's always, uh, well, I mean, you, you've experienced that. I mean, I, if I, if by my actions, I am not in any way, shape or form inspiring you to apply something that I've done to your life, then that's not a relationship. I think the point there is it's no longer a two-way street. And we've had discussions No, because like I'm, I'm not bringing anything to the table for you. Like, you know, something like if, if even if I've made mistakes along the way, if me changing those aspects of myself doesn't inspire you, I've still gained learning about myself, but then that relationship is over. I think the key there is that you identify that you are someone who wants to grow and learn and absolutely make change and become a better person yeah so, so if a person's not willing to yeah, if, accept if, that if you it, well that that will occur or reaches a point where you're no longer compatible let's just say that acceptance is off the table i don't mind if somebody doesn't accept that but the the logistics of it is if you really like a person well, love is, is slightly different, but if you really like a person, you pay attention to the things that they're doing. Every woman knows that. 
Like that's a, that is a known thing with women. And it doesn't matter what your gender orientation is. That's a known thing with the feminine principle that if you like, or if you like the person you are, because attraction is different. If you like the person that you are attracted to, you pay attention to the activities that they carry out. And if you like the activities that they are engaged in, you tend to emulate those activities in some way. That's why a lot of women find themselves in the position where they've lost themselves because they go to the other extreme and get caught up in the activities of their mate, which for a certain percentage of men, it's cute at first, but then it feels clingy later. As in, go get your own friends. <laughs> right? And that comes across a very abrasive because those women have learned that if, you know, to show love, that you got to be involved. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's such I, a. I it's see such a lot a, of what you're saying. It's a, such a weird tandem of. Where does the trauma really come in there? Well, Here's, here's the biggest part of that trauma. Let's say that the guy says, go get your own friends. That becomes traumatic because they've spent their entire life involved in that guy's life, making themselves mm. appealing, making themselves accessible for inspiration. As far as they're concerned, they've brought the perfect girlfriend to the table. And he just told me, go get your own friends. So that's an interesting perspective. The part of relationship trauma that I really wanted to take and address mm. was really about the relationships where you don't realize how big the issue is until too late. And then when you finally get out, you're a whole nother person. You've got fears and triggers you barely realized were there. Basically the frog in hot water concept, right? Like if you put a frog in hot water, it'll die instantly, but put a frog in, you know, cold water and it's gradually heated up. It won't, you know, or yeah, it goes, mm -hmm. if you put a frog in hot water, it's going to, you know, jump out right away because it's, otherwise it's going to die. Mm -hmm. But if you gradually heat the water, you know, from cold water, it's not going to jump out and it's just going to be boiled. Because of so their, their system similar of to, to relationships, let's look at a lot of things like narcissists. A lot of abusers do this. I mean, I saw a lot of this, of course, mm -hmm. with my perspective here. Mm -hmm. But it starts with the little things, like just getting a little nag here or a little, you know, some something like that. Or just a little little rude at times or, mm -hmm. you know, having some weird little ticks or habits, mm -hmm. things like that. And then it increases and increases, but you're always there. So you don't see the increases mm -hmm. and some never leave. Yeah. Because, they, and what, I've, say, what, I've, what I've heard mm -hmm. is that the reasons that they never leave is simply because they think that they have already invested too much. And that's, a big thing to recognize and that's why my parents supposedly stayed together was because they didn't want to harm us kids 
obviously that didn't yeah as grown-ups you don't see that so it's it's right there in front of our faces when that happens like all all the signs are right there but again we think we've invested too much at what point do you cut loose you know and then the healing from that trauma like when you finally get out of a relationship like that how do you get over that feeling of having invested that much time for not i read an article many many years ago long before i came to canada and this is what made me have that dating concept of if there's a world of no confidence i'm done i thank you for what we had as a relationship but this is where it ends that article referenced relationships in terms of stock market jargon and the one that the guy referenced was the act of a stop loss it is the duty of the broker to ensure that the investor has a stop loss in other words when you invest in a stock at what point when that stock begins to fall you call a stop loss and you sell Mm-hmm. They can advise them on it, but they can't. the The investor has to be the one to make that call. And when I read that, it was so profound for me that for me, the stop loss that I chose was if there's a vote of no confidence in my ability to be a part of that relationship anymore. And for example, even in ours, heaven. Heaven fucking forbid, I have a stop loss. Mm-hmm. I actually do. Mm-hmm. Mine's based on what happened growing up. Right. But it it boils down to, you know, our little one. And there's a there's a stop loss point for me that's very clear. Mm-hmm. So I think to that end, it's important to outline what your your stop loss point is going into a relationship now that's an interesting thing because what i've kind of heard in in my research and watching different you know youtubes and and tiktoks and instagrams on this and you know reading different articles there are a lot of guys who actually have this and when they activate the stop loss What they've experienced is that the women go fucking postal. And of course, at that point, when they call the stop loss, it's proven for them because that person then drops all pretension. You know what I mean? Not really. There are a lot of guys who, and and I've, I've seen this even more so now within the last year on TikTok. A lot of guys just come straight out and say, listen, I like you. You're great. Don't use me. Don't abuse me. Just be straight with me. And if you feel like, you know, it's not going anywhere, tell me, you know, I will always attempt to say, well, okay, is there a way to fix this? But at least tell me. And sometimes what they've experienced is the women don't tell them. 
they do that bullshit of, oh no, everything's fine. It's fine. And the guys who said, okay, you know what? If you're not telling me that that's a stop loss for me. And then the woman just go postal. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like you're supposed to fight for this, blah, blah, blah. And they go off into that bullshit. That fight mentality can be detrimental for a lot of women like that I've seen that need to fight, fight, fight for the thing that's not going anywhere. And we've seen it actually on the other perspective as well. Yes. I think you had an interesting list here of some questions. Yeah. So this uh, that give an interesting thought. You want to read them or you want me to read them? Well, I'll, I'll I, maybe mention I think where it's powerful. from and what it's about, and then you, because you found quite a powerful, interesting thing with it. It's actually a quiz from marriage.com. You know, do I have PTSD from emotional abuse? Yes. Quiz. But these questions are something interesting to, I think, take stock of if you feel like something's a little wonky. You know, if you're trying to even determine whether you have healing that needs to be done or changes that need to be made. Perhaps take questions like this and assess. Yeah, because even though I've shown you this too, even on Cora, women aren't sure about what they're experiencing, especially when they're with manipulative or abusive guys. And that, again, that frog and hot water thing, that's exactly what I find is the most common issue that I personally have seen Mm. with relationship trauma Mm -hmm. and then i mean i've again for me personally i've primarily seen women coming out of these Mm -hmm. where they've got massive trauma and they let it go for way long some of them have horrible regret Mm -hmm. over not having seen it sooner or causing this that and we always hear naturally about those in abusive relationships that stay or don't want to leave i recently watched a documentary about kids that get you know taken by cps or some such mm-hmm. i think it was a uk documentary mm-hmm. so i think it's a slightly different system but anyway the one stayed in the abusive relationship and let the child get taken away because she didn't feel she had anything outside of the relationship mm. like oh my goodness the trauma that comes from so many relationships that do end up like in that. some way abusive whether it's like full-on you know it's smacking or just emotional abuse. So anyway, on that note of emotional abuse, please go ahead and read out these questions. Right. So from marriage.com, and let me just uh, pretext this. Even though this is from marriage.com, I think uh, we both think that this these questions apply across the board. If you're dating, you should be asking these questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are 10 questions that are excerpted from this. The first, and I'll just read them through. First one, do you often avoid things, places, or people associated with trauma? Two, do you ever experience nightmares, flashbacks, hypervigilance, anxiety, or trouble concentrating? Three, have you ever been in what you consider an emotionally abusive relationship? Four, are you haunted by a traumatic event that plays over and over in your mind. Five, have you experienced physical, sexual, or emotional abuse in your life? Six, 
do you seem to develop unhealthy behaviors such as drinking, eating disorders, substance use, etc., as a way to cope? Seven, do you or did you at the time felt the abuse was your fault? Eight, do you stay in a relation? Did you stay in a relationship way longer than you should have because of promises or hopes your significant other would change? Nine, have you experienced trauma related to being verbally assaulted, humiliated, intimidated, confined, or isolated? Ten, have you ever felt your sense of identity, dignity, or self-worth was diminished or lost? I, and I, I think those ten, like if, if you're young and you're dating and you could answer these ten, it will circumvent so much bullshit in your life. So much. Even for developing good, intimate friendships. And when I say intimate friendships, I mean like the confident, platonic-style friendships where you can truly decide, man, this is a good friend. You can still use these questions to determine that. If that person makes you feel any of these while you're developing a friendship with them, these are signs that you have trauma and signs that you got to be able to work through those traumas, you know? So I, that's, that's one of the reasons why I brought these questions to the forefront, because I, I think they're that strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as far as what to do with relationship trauma, I'm going to say again, relearning how to trust yourself is, in my opinion, massively key factor. Well, that's been the underlying thing so far. Even with the clients that we've dealt with, we found that... Even with you coming into our relationship. Huge. Huge. But that brings me to the last part of that of this part of the topic that's why i listed it in the show notes because when i was doing this research what i found i have it listed here the most toxic oversight the top page of all of the searches that i did for relationship trauma right the first page that first google page and even the other search engines same thing there was never single article identifying the trauma men experience not a single top page Mm -hmm. and not even the second page no articles came up for men experiencing relationship trauma isn't a big enough thing and it yet like when you're searching or when you're addressing things and yet that is huge I mean, that's, that's half the population. Surely they have it too. I mean, we, well, well, that's we know, well, you know, firsthand exactly mm-hmm. what kind of things can result. And surely you're not the only one, but we know for a fact, you're not the only one who has had traumatic experiences mm-hmm. in relationships and are still a guy. Hey, I know this is a bit of a side note, but... Mm. I thought I'd insert a little funny since we've been so serious this whole time. No jabs at each other or anything. Are you ready? 
Mm. I was thinking about the trust factor when we came into our relationship. Mm -hmm. Technically, we weren't even in a relationship. We were just meeting each other. And I think I got that out of the way right away, right? The thing that caused issue in my previous oh, dating. That was, that was big. I got that out right away. That was I huge. can do stuff. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like like I see things. And <laughs> so if if you are if you get are get that new, trust thing right out the bat. If you are a new listener, you have to go back to season one to understand what we're talking about. For those who have listened all the way to now, it's it's our inside joke. But <laughs> <laughs> so you got to go back and listen to to get like the full story of that. But that is that's quite. It, true. But the point is, the specific scenario that truly ended my previous relationship, and like we just met shortly after that one had ended, very yeah. shortly after, mm -hmm. and I didn't want any interaction around that particular question, mm -hmm. which is you know the. The psychic abilities I have. Mm -hmm. When you inquired, I did not want to hide and later have to backtrack at that all. I just trusted myself at that moment that no matter whether this person ends up still wanting to hang out or not, that I'm not going to beat around the bush. Let's just say it out. And see, that's the thing I've never... I'm not wasting any more time on anybody anymore. I'm saying it out. I've never really understood that with modern dating and spiritual people because... We've come across so many clients who experience a spiritual awakening and then they have partners and they don't tell them like they don't tell them, oh, you know, I'm studying this or, you know, I'm going through this or they're very like, I wouldn't say cagey, but they're excessively reserved about letting their partner in because and most of the times it's just because they are afraid that their partner would judge them in some way or they know for a fact that their partner is extremely skeptical about you know or that woo woo shit like you know what i mean and i don't personally get the whole thing like and you know what even the, even that last interview mm -hmm. i did with that beautiful amazing talented woman from uh, from the linkedin right when she talked about it, she was like, she's like, you know, you're just like out there, like a shaman. <laughs> and she's like, that is fascinating to me. I'm like, yeah, I, I stopped. Like at first I, I wasn't hiding it, but at the same time I didn't go around just telling people, you know what I mean? You weren't parading it in no, any no. fashion. No, because it, it was just something personal for me because it, 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 and it still is very personal for me because when I found out that this is a deep part of my heritage, you know, like I felt it all along, but I didn't know that like, this is, this is the shit. Like this shit is serious. Like this was in, this is my ancestry here. We're talking about, you know what I mean? Like that sense of taking ownership of my origin. That's how deep it was for me. So I didn't, feel like I was going to be, you know, go sharing that shit unless it was somebody that I was in a, in intimate love relationship with that person would have to know. And if they can't handle it, well, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the core of my body. I don't give a shit how great your sex is. Like that's, it's done. It's a wrap. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Cause that's my core. So I've never had that thing that most people generally have 
of hiding it. So it's not something that I could actually, like it's not an experience that I can attest to, but it is an experience that I understand because of the nature of how people have responded over the years. I know that for me, and that's part of my stop loss, right? If, if you if you straight up just deny the things that are of the highest interest to me, then that denotes what that relationship will look like. It means you're going to be dismissive about whenever I have to talk about those topics. And if you're dismissive about that, it means that if I find other people to talk about it with, your dumbass is going to be jealous about it. That's It's a no-win situation. And I've Which been, brings I, you to your stop loss. Exactly. Why would I put myself in the situation of being in a relationship with that person when that's when I've done that? I've mm-hmm. done that. That happened when I was heavily involved with music. The women that I dated understood. I was very clear about my path when I was doing music. And even though I was ex- I was exceptionally clear about it to the point where I told them what my marketing plan was. <laughs> I was very clear about that. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, the kind of music I'm doing is high sex drive inciting. I said, it is my job that when I'm on stage to make every single woman in that crowd wish desperately desire to fuck my brains out. That's what my job is because that is going to make them not shut up and tell all their friends, you got to see this guy. I was, that's how clear I was. Mm -hmm. I said, you need to know that if you're going to be in the audience, every single woman in that crowd is going to feel that way. I said, I cannot identify you in the audience because that level of energy is going to cause drama. I said, but we are going to have our thing. I said, I am always going to look in your direction. I'm always going to wink at you. I said this. And still issues. And still fucking issues. Well, to be clear, you said that, for example, the particular scenario you're talking about, you told, oh yeah, I totally get it. I totally understand. Yeah. And then backtrack. Three, four shows later, the bitch fucking leaves the show and not even say nothing. Just mad. Pissed off. That this thing was happening that you guys had discussed. Women don't understand how devastating that is. Women have no fucking clue how devastating that is. Because, again, it comes back to the whole social training you know you're taught to disregard what a man says oh he he doesn't know what he's talking about because he he the his dick thinks that that's the only that's the only thing that's you know what i mean like I that grew whole, up with hearing that a lot that kind of thing and i was like like i could see some of the point but also some i knew some women in our small town that took a way too far extremes. and i was like what the, as a young child hearing this, like, or, you know, like I'm 10 years old and such hearing this, and I'm just, even at that age, I was going, 
uh, thank goodness I'd read enough yes. to know that that did not quite seem. It's not a match. All accurate. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like there had to be some exceptions at minimum because this is just a little too all or nothing. And I mean, bear in mind when we're talking about relationship trauma, these are all, these are all facets that lead to the beginnings of experiencing and harboring trauma because relationships are about connection. And if you can't establish a connection that is drama free, it's going to create trauma. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a, that is a fact of human relationships. People want honest, good connection. And if you're always afraid of the connection, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be open and engaging. This is one of the, this is one of the logic things that I realized while I was developing my stop loss. Like it took months for me to really work through what that stop loss was going to look like because I discovered through that art, through that, that article that I was reading. This is why it was so profound. If I could find what the stop loss is for the major areas of discrepancy that cause relationships to break down, then I knew that even if I got in a relationship, I would always have those filters to go by. So I didn't let anything get by me. Can you mute my mic for a moment? I'm going to make a bunch of noise flipping this giant crochet (laughs) blanket that is my speaking project. Uh, So funny. (laughs) No. Okay. You good? (laughs) In case anyone's new, I crochet while we talk. Yes. And my project's gotten a little on the larger side. It's freaking huge. (laughs) Don't even even pat it down. It's freaking huge. (laughs) But anyway, that's, that's what I, that's what I think about this whole relationship trauma thing. You know, we're suggesting that you use these questions and the, that citation. And also the third, the third, the third citation is, from partnerbetrayaltrauma.org. And there is a PTSD test from that link that if you go through the test itself, I think there are like nine questions in that test. And each of those nine questions actually give a significant understanding. And then they give you a little bit of a report after you know, mm-hmm. like you printed out yours here and it was nice and accurate for you. So that's yeah. a nice resource yeah. that'll be in the, in the list after this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the last 
trauma bit that we wanted to do, mm. which is about like that learning in school trauma concept. Mm -hmm. You had in here another interesting citation about the four types of trauma responses. I put it under the school one. Yeah. You want that under school? Can you do that again? I'll tell you why in a second too. Like it's right. crazy. Absolutely crazy. I did read it and I was like fascinated by that. I thought it might be pertinent before. So then let's touch on school and learning trauma. Just know that we've got a really cool things coming. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start, uh, here's the crazy part of the research that I started for this. There's no article written or video that shows that learning is a trauma none and that was fascinating enough to actually piss me off see here's where i had the idea for there being trauma related to this i mean yes a lot of it does have to do with me and my my experiences mm -hmm. but i know i'm not alone with this because others have spoken about it for, for you it. not to find any real resources on this mm -hmm. is really telling mm -hmm. i knew when i was young like i got really frustrated for example in school and trying to learn i wanted to know more and learn more but i wasn't being challenged enough and i was not given permission to skip a grade despite even my parents saying, hey, I wonder if she should. But apparently they didn't do that anymore in schools. <laughs> That's what my parents were told. But I really lacked challenge and it forever altered, you know, within a couple of years of being severely bored and reading thousands of books because I was so bored. And I, yes, I do know that I said thousands. I do mean in a course of a few years, I did in fact read thousands of books. Yes, I am aware it means I was reading a full-size chapter book every day. I had reading speed like no other. It ultimately, like among the many other things going on in my life, I did have a, quite the breakdown. So I don't possess that same learning ability or reading speed that I did. And it has forever affected my ability to learn. It's changed it dramatically. And it did after that. I was I went from an A plus student all the time to, you know, B's mm -hmm. were my standard. Mm -hmm. And that was with great effort. Mm -hmm. And certainly I'm not the only one. The social aspect of school was huge for me and trying to understand what that is. For those that maybe knew I am autistic. So that does make an impact. But the point there is had the social to figure out the, the lack of a challenge, things like that has forever affected me. And when you consider the way schools tend to be right now, I read something years ago now, and I've seen similar documentaries and such regarding this. The school current system that we have for schools uh, in general is the same one that was designed a couple hundred years ago now, I think. You sit in a desk, you get, you know, taught these things, you get homework, off you go. It was designed for primarily factory workers and such. You know, <laughs> bring them in, send them the knowledge, ship them out. Mm -hmm. We have very similar school systems still. And I've seen enough 
science fiction and fantasy to know there's other ways. People have thought of other ways to teach. So I certainly knew in school and have learned, I learned a lot more when I went to college, did this whole human resources little course in there. And it really taught me a lot about learning styles. And it really made me realize how incredibly different things could have been for me. And I am not the only one. So when I, here I am all these years later, having gone through all the other bits of trauma and such throughout my life and difficulties, I've got habits and fears ingrained in here and trying to learn things you've taught, I've gone against it so so much. Like so much of the time, I'm just rebelling for the sake of rebel, Mm -hmm. rebellion. Mm -hmm. And then even trying to learn my focus uh, at this point is completely different because I believed I was not smart enough to do things. I was not smart enough to pursue things further. Mm -hmm. We now know I got sick in university because of the the degree of pressure that I was having, it all related to the autism and such, it completely burnt me out. And that's why I couldn't complete university. So here I was all this time later, like, yeah, I finished a vocational school thing, but I was left with this idea of I can't learn things well. And it took, we've been, we've known each other for over 11 years now. Mm-hmm. And this is only recently that I've truly realized that I can learn. I just have to get past this. It was a false statement. Exactly a false statement. Mm-hmm. Now, given that I'm not the only one, I thought this was a fascinating trauma to bring up because I don't see it brought up anywhere, really. No. But I now here's the thing. Encountered at least a dozen other people have had similar or at least same topic trauma. Four search engines, right? Four main search engines were used. And not a single one had any articles whatsoever that showed learning as a trauma. They showed that trauma informed unadaptive learning. It can go the other way, too. If you're but this is what taught I'm saying. you can only learn in one way, it's going to affect your behavior. Well, the, And this is what I'm saying. None of the articles, they didn't even allude to the possibility that the act of learning is traumatic for some people. Or can, yeah, it can be. Well, yeah, well it can well, be, yes. But I'm saying, like, in, in terms of a... When, whenever there's a study that has to go out, they have to prove, they have to prove that this is an active thing. You know what I mean? That there is an active situation that is, I don't know, almost like a pandemic. You know that people are suffering from this. In other words, when somebody tries to learn, they are experiencing a traumatic response because trauma is the response. Mm-hmm. Right, trauma is an. If we go back to the the first definition, trauma is often used in a place in place of the full name PTSD. Right, 
and it's a psychiatric condition characterized by extreme levels of anxiety, flashbacks, and nightmares, which persist for months. So if you're having anxiety every time you sit down to learn. If you have nightmares about this, and I, I tell you, I used to. And those nightmares do not occur anywhere else in your life. When I had a job, my nightmares left. Right. When I had my first job out of high school and university together, like it was my first job, but the one where I had nothing else going on in my life except the job. Mm-hmm. No other schooling. Mm-hmm. Nightmares ceased. Right. So as far as as far as psychology is concerned right now, they, they are 100% dismissive that learning is a trauma. And I just really want to open up the conversation here that it exists. 100% and we need it to does. Consider that something needs to be done, that we need to start talking about it so that we can address it and, and solve problems, because that is one that I'm sure we can figure out how to solve. Yes. So that's what that's the reason why I listed this here under that part of the of the show notes that there are four types of trauma responses. So and as far as learning is concerned, I know people have seen these responses within themselves. Heck, we know someone we actually know a couple some multiple someones mm-hmm. who are teachers. Mhm. And discussions have been had, and hardcore, you can see even in those discussions how these types of trauma responses that you'll be talking about are prevalent. Right. So let me identify the four. So the first is the fight response. The second is the flight response. The third is the freeze response. And the fourth is the fawn response. Right. Now, I want to read these verbatim because I think that's going to be super important. Where did these ones come from? So that we mention it. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, that okay, came. But, that, um, yeah, that came from. I am expat. Yeah, I am expat. NL. Yeah. Oh, that no no that no. yeah, yeah. No, I think that's it because that's that's the only citation you've got about these. Oh yes 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 yes. That is it. And yes. It says four types: trauma response, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Yes, that. So yes, that is the link. So, and again, it'll be in all our links, but you'll read them out. Yes. So again, verbatim, I'm going to read these out because I think it's, oh my gosh. It's really important. And not everyone reads and understands what they're listening. So, I mean, you'll be able to read this later. You can listen to it now. Mm-hmm. And, and again, some people don't, don't enjoy reading. It causes them trauma. <laughs> right? Exactly what we're talking about. So right. you might as well read it here. Yeah. The four types of trauma responses. So... Trauma responses can be healthy or unhealthy, depending on the situation. Now let's delve into the different types of trauma responses and how they can manifest in an adaptive or maladaptive way. The first being the fight response. The trauma response of fight is when we figure out that in order to survive, we need to fight back. This trauma response stems from the belief that in order to get what you need and want, you need to fight, to try 
a lot and sometimes overcompensate in order to provide yourself with the safety and the security that you wanted to feel in your past. The healthy version of the fight response is when you are assertive, when you set healthy boundaries with others, when you protect yourself, when you lead others, and when you find the courage to make things happen. However, the maladaptive maladaptive version of this coping mechanism is when you overcompensate and overdo your fight response. For example, when you are over-aggressive and in parentheses, not assertive, but overly aggressive, end parentheses, and when you attack or bully people, when you resort to workaholism, becoming a perfectionist, a narcissist, or feel entitled and think that everybody should help or support you. A person with a maladaptive fight response might end up claiming energy and time from others without caring about how they feel. And that's the fight response. And if you found anything that clicks with you in that, where it co- when it comes to learning, it, Or with any of the traumas that we've spoken about, for that matter, in the last four podcasts here all together. Yep. The The next one is the flight response. Do you want to do it or you want me to? Oh, sure. I'll do this one. Okay. Let me pull up this paper over here. The flight response. Uh, The trauma response of flight refers to escaping and avoiding. This coping mechanism probably started when you wanted to avoid some uncomfortable conversations or feelings or something that was dangerous around you. The healthy version of this coping mechanism is when you take a break from overly upset people, when you disengage from difficult conversations for some time, or when you remove yourself from relationships that are not healthy. In contrast, the unhealthy version of the flight response is when you escape your responsibilities, when you seek solace in alcohol, when you turn to drugs, or when you avoid stepping out of your comfort zone because of fear. Very, very powerful stuff. I've experienced both of those. (laughs) The fight and the flight. I think that's something really in good to note is that you can experience any one of these four at different times. There's usually just one that you're more prone to. Mm-hmm. Like one, um, one that I mean, I've certainly your, your had all of these occur before yeah. as well. I just know very specifically which one I'm prone to. Right. Which is coming up next. Oh, okay. There we go. So the freeze response. The third coping mechanism is to freeze. The freeze response is when we stop, we stand still, and we don't do anything. We don't move forward. Oh, sorry. We don't move backward, and we don't move forward. The freeze response is where we numb our feelings and our needs. The healthy version of the freeze response is mindfulness. In the freeze response, 
we don't do anything. We stay still and we remain in the present moment. And this mindful state can be quite beneficial. Sometimes we are busy going back and forth, thinking about the future or the past. But practicing mindfulness is a healthy way to stay in the present moment and admire what is happening right now for a specific amount of time. The unhealthy version of the freeze response is when we dissociate, when we detach ourselves from whatever is happening around us. We might be too stressed and we completely switch off. We reject any stimuli and we don't allow any experiences to get into our bodies. We might be with other people, but we don't listen to them. We don't engage emotionally with others, and we isolate ourselves. We might numb ourselves in front of the TV as we just want time to pass by. We don't think. We don't want to think or fail. We are completely overwhelmed, so we suppress our feelings and whatever is happening inside of us. That's, that's me, right? Yeah. It's definitely one that you, you struggle with. I know with. you're not a fawn response, which is the next one, so I'm curious, which one were you out of? You probably fight. I have always been fight and flight. Those are the two that I've always like been, been prone to. Yeah. So I was kind of debating between the two. I was like, I see a lot of the fight, but then mind you, you're calm enough that maybe it's just the flight that they're done. Yeah. That, you know, I, I don't. I'm done with this. Very, it's very. Not serving. I'm done. Very much in my early, early years of developing this whole con- contextual system of mine. I always clipped wings. And when I realized that clipping the wings was actually counterproductive to what it is I was trying to achieve, I stopped clipping wings and I simply just flew in a different direction. In other words, I'm done with this direction. That's it. One of the ways that I used to do that, I used to drive my mom absolutely batshit crazy is when I was in my early teenage years, I was very, very uh, business-minded. Like I had a nose for business like nobody else in my family. And so when I understood that you could actually write a business plan to direct the way that you wanted to proceed, I wrote hundreds of business plans. And I kid you not, as a teenager, I wrote hundreds of business plans. And the frustration was they didn't work out because I, I didn't have all of the, you know, information on how to execute back then. I had literally had no way to find resources on how to execute. So every time the business plan didn't work out, I put it aside. Then, you know, yeah, maybe I'll come back to this, you know, get some more resources and come back to this. Get some more resources, come back to this. To the point where I had like a box of business plans. <laughs> and the one day 
it got to me to the point where I said, fuck it. I took the box outside. We had a, a truck wheel for like a fireplace. This is back home, right? Mm-hmm. We had a truck wheel in the backyard for our fireplace. And I took it out there with a bottle of gasoline. <laughs> and I started this fire. I poured the gasoline on and I threw the match. And of course, if anybody has ever lit gasoline like that, it goes off like a bomb. And it went off to a bomb to the point where our yard, which was fenced around by red brick, broke. That's how much Yikes. that's how much gasoline I poured. <laughs> of course, I was just mad, right? I didn't realize what the fuck I was doing. You were also a teenager, so your level of I poured gasoline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your level of caution was Fuck caution. Very I'm pissed off. Limited. Well, I was not about caution. My business plans have not worked. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) And it it threw me back a little bit. Like, I didn't fall. But, you know, because I stood back and threw the match. I had the presence of mind to do that. (laughs) But it went off. It went boom. And it was so hard that the concrete... I watched the concrete wall get an indentation. Wow. And of course, my mom comes out because she heard this because I think she had glanced me carrying something outside. And of course, you know, moms and their intuition. So she figured I was up to some bullshit. (laughs) She comes outside and see this fucking 15 foot raging fire. (laughs) She's black mom. Just that's all I got to say. Black mom. She went full fucking black mom on my ass. And I didn't care. I, I really didn't. Like, no matter what, like, it didn't matter what punishment she would have given me in that moment. I did not fucking care because I just took care of the thing that caused me trauma. I was not successful with any of those plans. And my mom was, here's, here's what my mom was actually pissed about. Why I couldn't just have a little more patience to wait until they worked out. And I looked at her like, are you fucking crazy? These things are causing me emotional pain. Why in the fuck would I keep them? And this, that's the attitude I had when I was a teenager. Why am I holding on to something that's going to cause me further emotional pain? And the reasons why I know that one of the big reasons why I ended up in really shitty relationships is because over time, I kept seeing more and more examples of that around me. That this is what people did. It might be paining you, but you still hold on to it. Just in case. That's what I learned. And I'm telling you right now, if you're listening right now, fuck that bullshit. Do not hold on to things that are actually producing pain in your life. Don't do it. Don't fall for that fuckery. Because it will not work out for you. You have to get rid of the things that are causing you pain. So anyway. Uh, On to the phone response. Yes. I can read that one if you like. Sure. Uh, So 
The last coping mechanism is called fawn. Fawning is a response that has to do with people-pleasing behavior. The healthy version of this response is when we have compassion for other people, when we care about them, and when we take the time to support, validate, and listen to them. The unhealthy version of fawning is when we put aside all of our needs and focus only on other people's needs. We then create codependent relationships where we want people to need us because we need them back. We think that we are not enough and we are constantly giving to others because we believe that unless we are useful to them 24-7, we are not worthy. This can also lead to staying in relationships that are abusive. A person with a fawning trauma response might stay in a toxic relationship because they feel that they need to fix the other person, that it is their responsibility to change them. Similarly, fawning can also manifest as having little or no boundaries and letting people do and ask whatever they want. This can cause the person to lose themselves in other people's lives and end up feeling empty as they have invested all of their energy, time, and resources in other people. It can leave the person feeling resentful towards the people around them, ultimately creating an unhealthy relationship dynamic where the person who fawns is the one always pleasing and giving to others without getting anything in return. So I could see why you would have wondered if I was doing fawning. And yes, I practice fawning hardcore. Actually, it wasn't fawning that I questioned at all. Okay. It was flight or it was the the fight or flight. Those were the two that I was debating. I knew you not. I know you have times where you have done the fawning thing, but it's not. Well, that's what I was just talking your about. Your main responses. That's why I was wondering what your main response is. Well, eventually, my main responses had to be fight and flight. You started off with fawning? Oh, big time. Because that's what I saw around me. You know what I mean? That's what everybody did around me. Even to the... Okay, so even with my first relationship situation, you know, my first marriage situation, Mm -hmm. everybody, every single person I knew told me, oh, you got to fight for this. Even recently, look at with my mom, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to fight for this. And it's it's very, very, um, it is seen as, I, I'm trying to find, it, it, it's almost, you know, like how in in, in the church, they, they disavow you if, you. if you do some shit that makes the church look bad, right? Okay. That is exactly how, black community treats you if you if you don't fight for certain shit okay and for me i when i switched from fawning to you know what fuck this this is fight or flight end of story i am not going to put up with it this is my stop loss because i've watched i've observed the amount of pain that fighting for certain things has caused people not just in the black community, but people in general, when people go after certain things, there are systems in place to create such havoc in your life just for fighting for those things that it is not worth my sanity. It's not worth my time to do that. 
And it's such a contrary thing for a lot of people to, to see that, that they won't see it at all. But I have to find a different way to handle whatever needs handling. So I've chosen to handle it a different way. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, what, what, what good am I going to be if I don't have my sanity? That's a good thing to notice that you can change your trauma response habits. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's one of the big things that most people don't realize. Oops. Yeah, most people don't realize is you have the right to change your trauma response. Don't let anybody tell you different. You as the person that is experiencing these events, you have the right. I, I cannot say this enough. You have the right to change your trauma response. Uh, well, if we're coming close to the end of our uh, podcast here today, mm-hmm. there is something I wanted to bring attention to since we've done this entire series on trauma. Mm-hmm. I have often encountered this where I'm to- I've been told what I'm supposed to feel or particularly in passive aggressive ways. Like, do you feel this? Do you feel that? There's no need to let others tell you how you should be feeling or to feel like you're not actually hurting because you're not feeling whatever it is they say you're supposed to feel. Yeah, because everybody's trauma response is different. Yes. Because, and it says that in the, in the first definition too. Sometimes people don't have a trauma response for the event, but that doesn't mean that they haven't experienced a trauma. And that is, that is even more key that if, if you are, if you've listened to this entire podcast, none of these effects that we've spoken on are things that you've experienced. It doesn't mean that you haven't experienced a trauma. You simply don't have the same trauma response as everyone else. And that is a huge factor. So understanding that you got to be able to go to that place and observe what your response was or is. I was going to say when it comes to solving the the trauma in your life and how it's affected you. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of the key things that we've encountered are to simply be able to observe what has happened and your response to it. If there's any fault per se, whether it's something you would have been able to prevent or not, just simply take stock of that in an observation type of way. Mm-hmm. And then from there, learning to trust yourself alongside with gaining any new skills that you may need to gain to make different choices and habits. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't look for blame or take blame is how I would put it. Even as a a a universally balanced thing, when we're talking about an emotional state and a healing state, don't take that as anything other than a simple observation. Yeah. Any of those blame games. Because there are faults. Because fa- you can get are, lost in yeah. those really easily. There, there may not be fault, but there are definitely faulty situations, right? And this, this, this is kind of what I was trying to 
bring to the forefront earlier. So I don't think it was coming across especially the way no, you meant but, it but, to you at know, first. But as we talked it out, I kind of I kind of found the words for that. Like it's not it, it, there are faulty situations. And if you remove the blame aspect, it gives you that that clear path to be observant. Like what, what you're talking about. Yep. Did you have any last bits? Well, we made it to the end of season two. A little bit later than we expected, but hey, we still made it to the end of season two. We're still hanging in there. Yeah. And you life know, hasn't stopped us yet. As <laughs> to if. give it a good try this summer. Life, life could try that shit. Fuck that. We're <laughs> we, we at boss levels, bitch. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back with another season. Yes. And we've had some some interesting times here over this trauma bit. Hopefully everyone has learned something or at least had some new perspectives. And we'll see everybody next season. Yeah. I'll still probably put some some bonus episodes in between. So, you know, Keep keep your eyes peeled for for notifications on that, and then we'll we'll let you know when season three is about to start. We have some really really cool ideas setting up for for season three, which we are not going to tell you right now. Just know that it's going to be pretty exciting. Things are in the works. Yes, very very exciting stuff. All right, <laughs> looking forward to seeing everybody next time. Hearing everybody, talking to everybody, something along that t- that line. We out. <laughs> <laughs>